0: We are in John today. We continue in our series in John, and we are in chapter four. And this is a very familiar story to many of us, and to you it may not be familiar. But by the end of this morning, I hope it will be. I'm going to read a considerable amount of the passage in order that we get the whole of the story. I'm going to do my best to read in my most interesting reading voice, but I want to encourage you to do your best listening ears as well, as we get into this beautiful, life-changing story that's captured for us in this chapter of the Bible. So we'll start with verse one. This is Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, Sichar, whatever you want. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, it's about noon. But whoever drinks the water I give him or her will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming up here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. "Uh, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman replied, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, is spirit. And his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned And they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then leaving a water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, which means teacher, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what, others, what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Then they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, we know that this man really is the savior of the world. A huge, beautiful story this interaction between a Samaritan woman and Jesus. But there's so much else going on in there, and I've heard these passages preached many times before. I've heard people talking about the principle of reaping and sowing. I've heard people talking about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And we're not gonna really touch on those things in detail today. We're gonna focus on how Jesus meets with this woman. We've looked at how Jesus has engaged with people previously, but this is a bit different, isn't it? Nicodemus came to him. Jesus went into the temple and he threw tables over, destroyed what they were doing. This interaction is very, very different. And this is what we're going to focus on. In John 20:31. John tells us why he wrote this book. He says, I write this that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and have life in his name so we could we could look at so or we could be here all day if you wanted to be but we're not we're going to spend 20 25 minutes looking at this and we're going to look at specifically what does it tell us about Jesus what does it tell us about Jesus there's much we could learn that we could do but we're going to focus on what does it tell us about Jesus i'm going to make three points very quickly and then I'm going to make one point very slowly. That's the plan. And that, that one point has a further two subpoints. Don't worry. For the note takers, you've got enough points to keep you happy today. Okay. And the way we're going to do this, we're going to go through the passage in reverse order. So we're going to start at the end and go backwards. Okay. So what do we learn about Jesus? What does it tell us about Jesus? Let's go right to the end of what we've read. Verse 42. This man really is the saviour of the world. That's the conclusion of this passage. That's where we're going to start. I'll give you a little hint, a little spoiler. It's where we're going to end as well. Okay? Jesus really is the saviour of the world. These Samaritans discovered this. Have you discovered it? He's the saviour of the world. Why is the saviour? Because we need rescuing. Every single person in this room today, whether you realise it or not, You need rescuing from your sins. But the good news is, Jesus is the Savior of the world. Which means, He is your Savior. He can rescue you today. If He's not already done it, He can be your Savior today. And we will come back to that later. That's the first point. Told you to be quick. Second one, verses 31 to 34. Let's have a little look at that. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Kids, show me your snacks. Show me your snacks. Oh, adults, show me your snacks, please. What have we got over there, Mr. Wiley? Very healthy. Sweet, but low-fat, I believe. Soaring malt loaf, one of my favorites. Yes, Gideon, what have you got? I can't hear you. Can someone shout? It sounds like a cottage cheesecake, but it can't be that. (laughs) Cheese and crackers. Oh, very suave. Any other ones? Any other snacks? Uh, Gem and Amy, what we got back there? Okay, we, no one likes to show off, all right? <laughs> Just putting that out there. No one likes to show off. You and what have you got? Very nice indeed. Now, does anyone want to share any snacks with me, Joris? Let's look at yours, second. Let's have a look. Do you think they need testing to see if they taste all right? Can I just make sure they're okay? Let's just test that one out. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. You can carry on those. That's okay. Yeah, they are fine. They're lovely. Yeah, very... mm, Good. Good. We need food to fuel us, don't we? We need fuel, food to give us energy. Totally appropriate. Of course we do. I've now got a raisin in my mouth while I'm preaching, which is... It makes it more challenging to talk, but it's going to give me energy to preach for you guys today. There are times in our household, exactly five minutes before tea time, always five minutes before tea time, when this happens. And what's happened is, I don't know, there's a cushion out of place. Maybe a door's closed. Maybe there's a bit of fluff. On someone's nose. It can be anything. Anything small and insignificant. The issue is not the fluff or the door or the cushion. The issue is this. There's no food in their tummy. And 20 minutes later after tea, this is the situation. <laughs> I'm so happy. Life completely changed. Now, that's just my personal story. That's what happens to me. Sometimes it's with the kids as well. But that's how we're built, isn't it? There's lots of blokes here going, yeah, I get you. I know what you're talking about. Sunday after the meeting, wives, particularly the blokes, you get back home and they're grunt bags, aren't they? Give them some food and make them happy. Or bring food with you. Or this is my Sunday morning strategy, double breakfast. Double breakfast. The mat you normally have, double it. You get through the meeting with more energy and more verve, which is why I'm so sprightly this morning. Triple breakfast this morning because I'm preaching. Very exciting. Chocolate, brioche, croissant, and cereal in the back of the net. But Jesus says this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. He's saying this, I am fueled by, I am energized by something more than food. He's on his lunch break. Jesus is on, it's 12 noon, he sent the disciples into town, he's on his lunch break, and what is he doing? Bringing the kingdom of God to a Samaritan woman. My food is to do the will of God. That's the whole reason he came, to fulfill the will of the Father, to become the savior of the world. He's interested in food, I'm sure he is, but he's saying this, there's something else that fuels me. There's something else that's more important to me. Doing the will of the Father. This is our Savior. He dedicates himself to the will of the Father. He commits himself to the purpose of him coming to earth. We're going to celebrate the incarnation at Christmas. Why did Jesus come? To rescue us and to save us. That's his food. That's his fuel. And our focus this morning is, you know, what what do we learn about Jesus but for us here? Let's just switch it around for a second. What's your motivation What's your fuel? On entering the wedding reception for Will and Jessica's wedding celebration, we were greeted by a lovely lady who was so happy, so smiley. And within three seconds, somehow, we got into this conversation about what really motivates you, what fuels you. And she said, she thought really long and hard, she went, cake. <laughs> we're not motivated. Well, we are motivated by cake, let's be honest. Cake is a really good motivation factor. We're motivated by Him. We want to be those who are motivated by doing His will. We want to live our lives with this focus Father, what is Your will for my life? Direct me and lead me. That is our motivation and our fuel, as well as cake and raisins and all those Costa goodies and cottage cheesecake as well. I love a bit of cottage cheesecake. Right. That's point number two. That was a bit longer than planned. Point number three, verse 19 to 21. Let's look at that. Um, So the lady, the woman says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet, I'll move on, to skip on a little bit. A time is coming, and now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of the worshipers the Father seeks. We can't really get hold of how radical a statement this is. The Samaritans would say, you worship on the mountain. The Jews would say, no, you go to the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying, God is spirit. I'm going to change it completely. It's not about geography. It's about a person. It's not about a place. It's about me, and we sit here in the Jubilee Center, and the, but there is nothing special about this place. God has gloriously given us to us. But you know, we can worship absolutely anywhere. We no longer come to a temple or to sacrifices, we come to a savior who has saved us, who has dealt with our sin, and has made the, the possibility of coming to the presence of God geographically anywhere. It can be absolutely anywhere, as Steve demonstrated over lockdown, even in the loo. God can meet with us. He's radically changing worship. It's not about places or sacrifices. It's about spirit and truth. It's about your heart. It's about your mind. It's about your attitude. It's about a person. It's about Jesus. Okay. I want to move on to our main point for this morning. What else do we learn about Jesus? What else do we get hold of? He's the Savior. He's fueled by doing the Father's will. He's radically changed worship. Well, let's look at this specific interaction in verse 16. This is what Jesus says to her. Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. I want you to just imagine what it's like to be this woman for a moment. Do you notice the detail in the passage that she's collecting water at noon? Now, noon is the hottest point of the day. Carrying water is a heavy job. You wouldn't choose to collect water at the middle of the day unless you were desperate. Unless, within the social circumstances of your community, something had happened that meant it wasn't acceptable for you to be around other people. You'd have come early in the morning... But that's when everyone else would have come. But she's come at noon. Why? Probably because she's been rejected by a community. Probably because she's been shamed by a community. She's living with someone who's not her husband. That would not have been acceptable. It's very, very likely that she's experiencing significant isolation. She's on her own. She's probably in quite a significant amount of emotional torment. It's probably difficult for her. Life is probably challenging. We're doing some guesswork here, but I'm I'm fairly confident that it's hard for her. But Jesus comes and meets her. And he reveals to her that he knows her deeply. They've never met before, but he knows her intimately. Intimately. He knows her brokenness. He knows her shame. He knows her sin. How would you have reacted? How would you react if you met a complete stranger who appeared to know your very darkest secrets? I personally would be freaked out out. I personally would be walking away very slowly from this stranger. I would be some way making excuses. Oh, I've got a train to catch. I'll be wanting to remove myself because the last thing I want to do is reveal the intimate recesses of my soul. I don't want my muckiness on display. I don't want other people to know about the inside of my heart and how sometimes how dark it can be I don't want people to know that but she does not do that does she she stays she presses in she engages in the conversation she questions him why do we think that is what's happened already in her and in this conversation that keeps her there Let me suggest there's two things. She's met someone, probably for the first time in weeks, months, years, who has initiated a relationship with her. And she's met someone who has been willing to break down significant social barriers in order to do that. And we're gonna look at those two things in detail and then we're gonna finish. Does anyone remember that song? It goes like this. I've found Jesus. I've found Jesus. You have to be at least over 30 to remember it. i found, yeah. It was a, a classic song. It was a beautiful one, a nice riff in it. Not true. Not true. Jesus found the Samaritan woman. John 15, 6 says this, You did not choose me, Jesus speaking, but I chose you. Ephesians 1 says this, I chose you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. I found Jesus. No, you didn't. I found Jesus. No, he found you. Would be a better little refrain in there. I might suggest it to Martin Smith later. Jesus initiates relationship. He went to the temple. Didn't initiate relationship with them. Kicked over the tables, didn't he? Nicodemus came to him. He was quite inquisitive. Jesus was gentle but challenging with him. This is the first time we see him initiate relationship. What's going on? Mark 2 verse 17 says this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus, fueled by doing the Father's will, he's going to the sick, and the shamed, and the sinful, and the brokenhearted, and the ones harboring darkness in their hearts, the ones full of shame, but want to know him. You see, every single person that Jesus encounters in the Bible are sinners. We are sinners. The Bible says we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus His heart is for those who recognize that. In some sense, there's no problem being a sinner as long as you admit it. But if you're a sinner and don't, then Jesus is less interested in you or Jesus is less welcoming to you. If you're a sinner and accept it, his arms are open wide. Those are the people that he comes to. He comes to the Samaritan woman full of shame, with a checkered past that we've just touched on. And he initiates relationship with her because she's a sinner who wants to know God. She's a sinner who accepts who she is. She tries to hide it, I have no husband, but then admits it, yes, that's right. He's initiated relationship with her knowing full well who she is. She's not had someone initiate a relationship with her for a while, we suspect. But this stranger, knowing the full extent of her sin, has started relationship with her. She's not recoiling, she's not coming back, because there's something intriguing about this person. There's something different about this person. She's looking into the eyes of someone who's loving her, in a way that she'd never been loved before. No one will have known the full extent of her sin and loved her. Every other person, virtually every other person, will have rejected her. But Jesus comes knowing everything about her, all her darkest secrets, and starts relationship with her he wanted her despite her sin and the pretense drops she no longer has to pretend oh I'm just no I'm not married it has to go he knows everything but he wants relationship with me she can drop the pretense has anyone got any hand sanitizer can I just have a bit? That's all right. I've got some germs my on my hand to get rid of. That's all right. Come on, people. We can be quicker than this. Thank you, Anne Brand. Thank you. Is it, it Natalie Bond, is it's it? I just thought it was Natalie Bond. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> yeah, other products are available. <laughs> but nothing quite smells like Natalie Bond. Organic products. <laughs> mm. I have just sanitized my hands and now... of germs have disappeared from my hands. I've got rid of them. Thank you very much. Can't sanitize your sin, though. I can rub myself in sanitizer and try and get rid of my sin. Get it in my heart. It's not gonna go. The sanitizer's not gonna get rid of it. We can't sanitize our sin. We can't come before God and pretend we're anything other than what we are. It's a waste of time. It's an absolute waste of time. Anyone got this book? Always Near Me by Susie Paul. Yeah, Jarry, so you got it? This is a beautiful rendition of Psalm 139 that I'm going to read for you, okay? So it'll be a slightly different version. As Jesus, you know me so well. You see my heart. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts before I think them. Ice cream van. Before I get to where I'm going, you know where I will end up. Just like the wind, you're all around me, and it's very hard to understand. Where can I hide from you? If I go into space, you're there. If I go into the bottom of the sea, you will find me there too. Because you're everywhere. Not even the darkness can hide me. To you, daytime and nighttime are just the same. You made every part of me and watched me as I grew in my mummy's tummy. Before the world was made, you decided how I would look. I'm made in a wonderful and amazing way. I jump for joy because of what you have done. Jesus, you know me so well. You see my heart. He sees your heart. And it can be so tempting to recoil. It can be so tempting to sanitize. It can be so tempting to pretend you're better than you actually are. But Jesus knows everything about you and he's initiating, he started relationship with you, or he wants to start relationship with you today, even though he knows your darkest and deepest sins. He wants relationship with you. What else happens? So this woman doesn't shy away from him. What else happens? He breaks down some barriers. Cameron, forewarning, I'm about to go down there. I've got a barrier in front of me here. Which I... I can't break it down because I'm weak, okay? I can't get rid of it. It's a barrier. It's going to stop me. And in this woman's life, she had significant barriers she couldn't break down. She was a Samaritan. She shouldn't speak to a Jew. She was a woman. She shouldn't speak to a man. Jesus had the same barriers. You know what Jesus did? Oh, how hard do I kick it? (laughs) He broke down those barriers. Come on, we can do this. He breaks down those barriers. This woman is absolutely intrigued by this man who has decided that it's okay, despite the social norms and the cultural expectations between Samaritans and between Jews, between women and men, for him to talk to them, for him to talk to her. You see, this conversation should never have happened. What should have happened? He should have been hiding away and the conversation should not have happened. It should not have happened in any way whatsoever, but this woman is having a conversation with the Messiah. She's having a conversation with God because what is what is God in the habit of doing? He's in the habit of breaking down barriers. You see, there is something bigger that we you and I face. Something much bigger. We've talked about it already. Our sin. Such a huge barrier. But he breaks down barriers so that he can know us and we can have relationship with him. He breaks down those barriers. 1 Peter 2.4 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For this woman... She's not recoiling, she's not moving away. She's pressing into Jesus because this man, this stranger, he started relationship with her. He's broken down barriers that would would have prevented relationship. He's dismissed them and moved them aside. He's revealed his in-depth knowledge of her, but he's continued to love her and she has never known a love like this before. She's been married five times and in another relationship, she still never encountered a love like this. Now, in my notes here, I've got a Bible reference and I'm struggling to find it. Kids, listen up. I'm struggling to find it. And it's not in my notes what exactly it is It's Psalm 145, verse 8. Psalm 145, verse 8. Does anyone know that off by heart? Does anyone, do anyone want to come and tell us what it is? Anyone who's memorized that recently? Anna, do you want to come? Psalm 145, verse 8. You know it off by heart? Go on, you tell us what it says then.
1: The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Psalm 145, verse 8.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much. A passage that may well have been familiar to this Samaritan woman. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, rich in love. I like to think, as this woman's having this conversation with Jesus, she initially thinks it's a prophet, and then she comes to discover this. The God that I read about is here. This God of compassion and grace, he's here. You see, this is the God that initiates relationship with you, and you, and you, and you. This is the God who loves us despite our sin. Tim Keller says this, as Mr. Cutting reminded me recently. Just take these words in. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. We love to sanitize ourselves. We love to dress ourselves up. We like to think of ourselves better than we are. Even the Samaritan woman probably hid her sin. She probably thought of herself better than she was. But we need to realize, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the joy of the Lord, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believed. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You see, if If we like to think of ourselves better than we are, we do the gospel a disservice. If we sanitize ourselves or try and brush ourselves up or try and hide our sin from ourselves and from God, we're not allowing ourselves to feel the full weight of the gospel and to know the full love of Jesus for us. If we pretend we're better than we are, that we don't allow Jesus to show how good he really is. This woman encounters Jesus at a well, and her life is totally changed. She allows herself, and we must allow ourselves, to appreciate the depth of our depravity We need to be totally honest in order to know that we're totally loved. We're not to recoil and step back when he reveals sin. We can be happy. Oh no, another character flaw revealed. Hallelujah, the cross has covered it. Jesus knew already. He's bringing me through on it. And as we're honest about our failings, it deepens our understanding of the gospel. It allows us to push deeper into Him. And it allows us to know His love more thickly, more deeply, more nourishingly. We've looked at this story We've looked specifically, what does it tell us about Jesus? There's so much good news in here. It tells us that today and every day, whether we're in the room, whether we're in the balcony, whether we're online, it tells us that he comes to us every day with grace and mercy. It tells us that every time we come to him humbly and acknowledge that we're sinners, he embraces us, he welcomes us, Into his presence. It tells us that the gospel, the gospel reveals Jesus' heart for the broken, for the suffering, for the sinners. So, my encouragement today is this let's not sanitize ourselves, let's not shy away from our sin, let's not recoil when Jesus reveals something in our character, let's press into that. Because as we do, as we're honest about it with ourselves and our God, we can more fully know His love and more fully know Him. In a moment, we're going to respond, but I just, just want to simply conclude by reiterating what Neil interpreted on the back of Joe's tongue Open your hearts to Him, open the gates wide to him, not just a crack in the door so that he can peek in. He knows everything about you anyway, and he loves you. He still loves you. He initiates relationship. He breaks down the barriers so that he can know you and you can know him. Tom, do you just want to come up? I'm just going to get Tom to come up on his own in a moment. The other guys can join in a minute, possibly. Chris, do you want to do this, or should I do this? Okay. We're going to respond in a a different way to normal this morning. Um, Tom's going to sing over us. He's going to sing to us. A specific song that's going to help us to respond to this. The words will be on the screen, so you can sing along if you want. But it's a song that encourages us to drop pretense the drop facade and it's a song that encourages us to know his love for us so I'm gonna I'm gonna let Tom sing that to us I'm gonna let you engage with God in this moment and then we're gonna see what else he wants to do this morning I know there's some contributions that didn't get to come out earlier on that might be a time to do that but for the moment Tom's gonna gonna sing this through a couple of times and we're gonna engage with him
1: Dress my best. I won't defend all my brokenness, banish my pride, facades laid aside. I am. Search me, know me, test me, and show me my flaws, my fails, my fragile frame. sin Love me again, and you're here to loosen the chains, and you're here to make me your own. You're here to unmake my mess, and you're here to give me your best, and you're here.